Go ahead and turn, please, in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking today at verses 13 and 14. We've been here in the study uh, through the book of Colossians for a month now. Uh, last week we looked at Colossians 1, 9 through 12 and Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae. And hopefully uh, we were encouraged with how we can and should pray for each other and for the local body of Christ. At the end of that section, Paul prays that they would give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I just want to encourage you to think again about that glorious truth. Paul is is making it clear we give thanks. We ought to be thankful because we didn't qualify for the inheritance by something that we did. It was acted toward us. It was something done for us. We were qualified by the Father. He qualified us to share in the inheritance. He has made us saints, Paul's saying. There's nothing about that statement that is less than amazing. He qualified us. But how did He do that? How did He qualify us? That's That is what we're going to focus on in our time in verses 13 and 14 today. And so go ahead and stand, follow along, Colossians 1, beginning with verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We praise you. You are good and you do good, Lord. We're so grateful for all that we have in Christ. And Lord, certainly many, if not all of us here, know the story of redemption. We know about forgiveness. But Lord, we don't want to be people who get used to that. And so I pray that even as we discuss things that we know, we would rejoice all the more. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. God, the Father, is a God who redeems. It's what He does. Redemption was always His plan. Now, let me say this as as we're getting into the beginning of this. I don't always know how exactly to answer the questions about why there is evil and sin in a world that a sovereign, all-powerful God created without sin. But I know this and was helped years ago by a sermon by John Piper but God's Word says to us in Romans 5.8, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, if that's true, for God to demonstrate or show His love for mankind in the fullest way, there had to be sin and there had to be death. While we were still sinners, Christ died 
and that to show his love for us. He demonstrates or shows his love for us how in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That was the clearest and best way for God to demonstrate to mankind how very much he loves us. He redeems. And I take from that, Romans 5, 8, that first and foremost, he is far greater and more gracious than my mind can comprehend, and also that redemption was always the plan, always the plan. And so let's look at that from the very beginning before we look at these two verses in Colossians. First, remember Adam and Eve in the garden, God's redemptive heart there in Eden. Adam and Eve sinned. They did not obey God's command. And in their sin, they hid themselves from God, and not just that, they hid themselves from each other. They took fig leaves and made coverings for themselves, and in doing that, they were seeking to cover their own shame, something they could never do and no one can ever do in their own strength. That's not possible. And although there were serious consequences for their sin, God's redemptive heart is on display there with Adam and Eve in three ways. First, God sought them, found them, and spoke to them. God could have destroyed them, but He didn't. He seeks them out, finds them, and He speaks to Him. We see that in Genesis 2, 8 through 13. Second, he makes a promise to them. Genesis 3, 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, someone is coming who will destroy the tempting serpent. He hasn't given up on his plan. One day he will send someone who will overcome and conquer the serpent. And third, then God provides for them, for Adam and Eve. Their sin had caused shame and guilt and alienation, and they tried to provide for themselves by making a covering from fig leaves. But God makes garments of skin. In Genesis 3, 21, He doesn't leave them in their shame and nakedness. He provides for them and does that by way of sacrifice. That even from the beginning, he's he's showing a picture of how the serpent will be destroyed by sacrifice. It's a foreshadowing of the redemption to come through Christ. God is a God who redeems, and that's always been His plan. We could look at the story of Noah. God warned of a coming judgment. He would flood the earth. But He made a way of redemption for those chosen by Him, and and they trusted in Him and entered the ark and were safe. He rescued them out of the flood. He redeemed them from the judgment that He had declared. And consider the story of Abraham. God makes a covenant with Abraham. Through him, all the world would be blessed. That promise alone is God's heart of redemption because the blessing was Christ who was to come, 
who would make a way for Abraham's children and all children to be one family blessed forever in him. But one, one beautiful picture of redemption in the story of Abraham is with his son Isaac, a miracle in and of himself. Because although God had promised descendants that could not be counted through Abraham, Abraham and Sarah didn't have a son. So that seemed very unlikely, and they were Abraham 100 and Sarah 90. So that seemed extremely unlikely. And yet, God miraculously gives them a son through Sarah. And imagine the joy in these two parents at 190. And then, you probably know the story. What does God call them to do? God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now, imagine the joy now turned to deep sorrow. But Abraham, it tells us in Genesis 22, takes his son up on the mountain, ties him up, prepares the offering, and God rescues Isaac, sends a ram as a sacrifice instead, and it was a purposeful display of the true and perfect redemption that would come through Christ alone. Isaac would not be a sufficient sacrifice. He was not the one to save mankind. But Jesus would. Jesus would be a sacrifice to save, to redeem. You consider the story of Moses and the Israelites. In Exodus chapter 6, God promises deliverance to his people who are in captivity. There's no clearer picture of redemption in the Old Testament. Exodus 6, verses 6 through 8, God's saying, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord." He does it by his mighty hand through his servant Moses. He delivers people from darkness to light. A beautiful foreshadowing of what he will do through Christ. A picture of exactly what God does for us spiritually through Jesus. Now, those are just some examples from the Old Testament. But I mention those so that we see this is who God is. God is a God who redeems. That is his heart. That's the way it has always been. And so here in Colossians, Paul is reminding us of that, reminding the Colossians of their reason to give thanks, reminding us how it is that God the Father has qualified us for the inheritance, that he did it and how he did it. And so verse 13 in Colossians chapter 1, he, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. God did that. This wasn't something that we figured out on our own. One day we were just talking with someone and and, and realizing we're in darkness in and of ourselves, that we just figured that out. He delivered us, it says. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, gives us a, a picture of that. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is who we were. That was our circumstance like all of mankind. That's who you were and where you were. And the language in Colossians is that of a rescue that has taken place. That He rescued us out of darkness and transferred us or brought us into light. Rescued us out of death and transferred us into life. You imagine someone being caught in the sea with raging waves surrounding them. You may think if you see that scenario, well, if, if they are a good enough swimmer, then they, they may have a chance of surviving. But, but it would be really nice if someone threw them a rope so they could hold on and, and be pulled out or pull themselves out. Now, that's a nice story when that happens, but that's not the gospel story. That's not what Paul's saying that the Father did. What what Paul is explaining, if we want to apply that to the story of someone being caught in the sea with raging waves, it would go like this. They're there, and imagine that there is no such thing as swimming. Or imagine that they're made of rock, It was a hopeless situation. That's what the Scriptures explain to us from beginning to end. You were dead. You were hopeless. But God rescued you out of that. When you consider the bondage and suffering of the Israelites in Egypt and how the Lord intervened, they were not seeking Him. He came for them to set them free. That's a picture of how the Lord has delivered you and me. Your greatest enemy was not Satan. Your greatest enemy was you, your sin. You were dead in it, Paul says. You needed delivered from that. You needed rescued, and God did that. Galatians 5.1, Paul writes, For freedom, Christ has set us free set us free. We were in bondage. We were dead, but He set us free. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. God the Father has delivered us, Paul is saying from the domain of darkness. Do we understand truly the peril that we were in? 
how desperate we really were. People who have not been rescued by God in Christ live in a domain of darkness. That's what Paul means in Ephesians when he says, like the rest of mankind, in this power structure that is characterized by the forces of chaos and evil and judgment. And don't, don't hear me wrong there. That doesn't mean that non-Christians are these evil, demonic people who only go around doing bad things. We know that's not true. There is common grace from God, where the Lord shows grace to all mankind in some forms and through mankind. Unbelievers do good deeds all of the time. What a beautiful picture of common grace it was this week to see the Muslim community come together and raise the money for the funerals of Jewish people murdered in Pittsburgh. That's a horrible tragedy and a beautiful picture of common grace. What Paul's saying is those who have not been rescued by God are characterized by the forces of chaos and evil and judgment, pride, self-centered opposition to God. And they cannot save themselves. Paul says in Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and uh, rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And what Paul's saying in Colossians is God rescued us from that. He delivered us from that domain, from the domain of darkness. And what has He done in this deliverance? He goes on and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. That is wonderful. The reign of of Jesus. He took you out of death and darkness and delivered you or transferred you into the kingdom and reign of Jesus. This great and marvelous transaction took place, Paul's saying. You were taken out of the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of Christ. This is a picture of a a whole population being picked up and deported into another realm. And that kingdom at the consummation will be the eternal kingdom of God. You are a part of the kingdom of His beloved Son. A kingdom enveloped in love. And so it only makes sense that Paul says, giving thanks, giving thanks. We should be the most thankful people on the planet always, always, because we have the most reason to give thanks. There is hope in the midst of the worst circumstances, the kingdom of His beloved Son. You remember in in Matthew, at Jesus' baptism in Matthew 4, God the Father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is the Son of my love. And we, those who have been delivered from darkness, are transferred into the kingdom of that love. We're now a part of that love, recipients and benefactors of the love the Father has for the Son. We're a part of that kingdom. 
What hope and promise comes from knowing that, from knowing that we are a part of the kingdom of Christ. If you are in Christ and you struggle with identity, let Paul's words sink into your hearts. Read them again and again and again and again. He wants us to know, he wants you to know what your identity truly is, that we are in Christ. We are a new creation. We're transferred into the kingdom of Christ. And in him, he goes on in verse 14, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is a wonderful truth. One of the primary effects of Christ's death on those who belong to him is redemption. It's a, it's a picture, it's an image of the transaction by which a slave paid a price to secure his or her release from slavery. Christ came to do that, to redeem sinners from their slavery to sin by offering his own life as a ransom, a payment. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The price, the payment. We've been purchased from the slave market and our sins have been sent away. Why? Because we are in him. That's the present reality right now. We are in him. Taken out of darkness. Brought out of darkness. Redeemed. Rescued. That's not something we're waiting to happen. It's true now. It did happen. He has delivered us from that and brought us into himself. We have redemption. Our sins are forgiven, Paul's saying. That's why he can say in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. In Titus chapter 2, Paul writes to Titus, beginning with verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. There's no part of that gospel message that Paul is writing that would make me believe that I did that. No, Jesus did that. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all that we were and to purify us into all that he is. What a beautiful, wonderful truth. For the rest of our time, I want us to consider what that means for us as we consider redemption. If, if this is true, what does that mean for us? If, 
if what Paul is saying is that God has delivered us from what we were and where we were and transferred us into more than we could ever, ever comprehend. He's redeemed us and forgiven our sins. What, is that, what does that mean for us? Now, let's be honest. We could, we could make a list that would go on and on and on. I'm just going to have three things. First of all, redemption means that you are free. You are free. Paul wrote to the Galatians, it is for freedom. Christ has set you free. You have been set free from your sins. That he, he really did take them on himself. When Christ was on the cross, the, the worst of his suffering was not the nails. It was not the struggle for breath. It was the reason that he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because what the scriptures tell us is he set us free by taking our sin on himself and experiencing in himself God's wrath for our sin. And he did that so that we would be completely free from it. That there is, there's not a waiting judgment for us that may be lessened because of Jesus, that there's no condemnation, that he took all of it upon himself. He received God's wrath willingly for us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And all that that meant... If you're living a life riddled with guilt for, for your life before Christ, He paid for that and for every sin you will ever commit. He gives us hope. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. You consider the, the words that we sang earlier. I love this song, His mercy is more. The reality is, Jesus didn't save me and then I stopped sinning, but he saved me from all of it. What love could remember? No wrongs we have done. Think about the statement that that's how God looks at you, that you as if you've done nothing wrong, omniscient, all-knowing. He counts not their son, thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. That's the truth of the gospel. Yes, we continue to sin, but we're free in Him. Free in Him. And we, we therefore strive for Him. Redemption means you're free. Secondly, redemption means you are loved. Ephesians Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons. In love He did that. 
Romans chapter 8. All the things that we face in life, Paul gives this wonderful expression and truth of God's love for us. What then shall we say to these things? Beginning with verse 31. If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who's to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Redemption means you are loved. That God the Father speaking from heaven to His Son, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Redemption means you are in Christ, the Son of His love, and are thereby loved with the same love. And third, redemption means you are set apart. You are set apart by Him, and you are set apart for Him. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 25. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers, overseer of your souls. God redeemed us. He set us apart by him, and he set us apart for him. He left us an example that we would follow in his steps. So as Paul says in Romans 6, are we to say then that we continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. No, we strive to be like the one who redeemed us because he set us apart for himself to walk in his ways that we Peter says, might die to sin and live to righteousness. As we work our way through Colossians, we're going to see that's where Paul is headed. Put off the old and put on the new because that's who you are now. It's the message of Ephesians. This is who you are in Christ. Now start acting like it. Start becoming in practice what you already are in position. So redemption means you're free and it means you're loved and it means you are set apart by Him and for him. 
to walk in his ways. It is a wonderful thing to be freed, loved, and set apart by the God who redeems. No matter what you were like in Christ, you are rescued and you're made new. And he did that by sacrificing his son in your place. Romans 5a, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous. We remember that each and every time we take the Lord's Supper. We give thanks, not simply for bread and juice, but for what they represent, what they remind us of, that Christ's body was broken in place of ours, that Jesus' blood was shed so that we could be forgiven. God the Father redeemed us at the cost of His Son's life. Let's, let's remember that with thanksgiving. As you hold the bread and you hold the cup, remember. Let me pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. You have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of our sins. We praise you and thank you for the truth of the gospel, and we don't want to get used to it, Lord. So help us to even rejoice in that truth, to overflow with thankfulness as we consider the cross Christ's body broken, his blood poured out for our sins. We pray in Christ's name, amen.